Our, our tradition teaches Omer Devar B'Shem Omro, which literally means say the word in the name of the one who said it. Or as the Mishnah teaches, whoever repeats a statement in the name of the one who said it brings redemption to the world. Basically, Judaism thinks it is okay to borrow others' ideas as long as you attribute their name to them. So I want to make sure to begin by saying that this teaching was inspired by Cantor Marcia Addy's interpretation of this week's Torah portion, Matot Masse. Um, so this is definitely her idea expanded upon. This week's Torah portion starts in Numbers 30 with the verse, Ishki dar neder, if someone makes a vow to God or takes an oath imposing an obligation on him or herself, they shall not break their pledge. They must carry out all that has crossed their lips. A vow is a very powerful tool in the Torah. In the Haftorah for Rosh Hashanah and 1 Samuel, Hannah, Hannah, begs God for a child, vowing that if she gets pregnant, she will dedicate her child as a Nazarite. She does get pregnant, and she takes her son Solomon to the temple, dedicates him as a Nazarite, and promises to never cut his hair. But vows can also hold great danger in the Torah. In the book of Judges, Jephthah says to God, if you help me defeat the Ammonites, then I vow that the first person to walk out the front gate when I return will be offered as a sacrifice to God. He wins the battle, returns home, and his daughter, his only child, is the first person to walk out to greet him. The chapter ends with the line, he did to her as he had vowed. These stories, these narratives from the Torah, really scare the rabbis of the Mishnah and the Talmud. What if someone promises something in a moment of anger or desperation, or when they're not in their right mind? What if the circumstances change and fulfilling the vow becomes unjust or cruel? If I do well on the SAT, I promise to pray three times a day for the rest of my life. If my horse wins the race, I will stop gambling forever after today. If my daughter survives this surgery, I promise to never fight with her again. The rabbi's knowledge of human nature and of the unpredictability of life made them very weary of vows. So the Mishnah teaches, he who intends to say truma but says tithe, or he who intends to vow that I will not enter this house but says that house, or he who says I will not give any money to this man but meant to say that man, he has said nothing until his mouth and mind are equal. Until his mouth and mind are equal. That seems to directly contradict the Torah's earlier dictate that they must carry out all that has crossed their lips. But the rabbis worry that people will make mistakes. They'll give the wrong spelling, they'll switch the order of the numbers, they'll get the names confused. 
So they decide to soften the language of vows in the Torah by adding the idea that intention or state of mind or kavanah matters, that you have to mean what you say when you make a vow for it to be real. But the Mishnah was not enough for our ancestors. The later generations come up with an even better way to weaken this week's Torah portion. The Hebrew word for vow is neder. It may sound familiar because every Yom Kippur, we begin the sacred day by reciting kol nidre, right? Neder, kol nidre. Oh, wait, I like that, right? <laughs> right? That's like a preview of what you could experience in almost exactly two months. Kol Nidre, let all vows that I have made this past year be null and void. Kol Nidre is the ultimate legal loophole. Even if I meant when I said when I made the vow, even if I didn't make any mistakes when I said it, the new year begins and I can still get out of it. As an aside, early reform congregations were so uncomfortable with this get out of vows free card mentality, that they took Kol Nidre out of the Yom Kippur service. They did not want any neighboring Christian communities to think that they would use Kol Nidre to get out of business deals or other commitments that they had made to them. It's only really more in the last hundred years that Reformed congregations as a whole have done Kol Nidre on Yom Kippur. Today, we don't make many vows to God, but we do regularly make commitments, verbally or digitally. And my sense is that we break them more than we used to. Oh, I was tired after work, so I didn't make it to the event that I registered for. I didn't like the coach, so I stopped going to soccer practice. I RSVP'd yes to the bar mitzvah, but the traffic seemed so bad and it was stressful to drive all the way over the bridge, so I watched Netflix instead. People increasingly don't honor their commitments. I, I just for fun Googled and the New York Times style section had four different articles over the last five years about why people RSVP but don't show up to events of all kinds. We could argue that it is a product, product of the digital age when we can check yes on an evite email without giving it much thought, or that we are so over-programmed and busy that we get overwhelmed by competing events on our calendar, or that the weakening of our social fabric has made us feel less obligation towards each other. It could be all or none of these things. It could be a symptom or a cause. But my concern is that on a deeper level, we have less trust in the word of others, from our neighbors to our elected officials. We have an inherent skepticism towards any promise. Former United Kingdom Chief Rabbi Jonathan Sachs teaches, when we bind ourselves by words, we are using language not to describe, but to create to create an orderly future out of the chaos of human instincts and desires. What makes humans unique is not the use of language. Other animals use language from dolphins to primates. What is unique to humans is that we use language to bind our own future behavior, 
so that we can form with other human beings bonds of mutuality and trust. The ability of one person to trust another person's promise is a building block of civil society. The notion of a social contract is fundamental to our democracy. John Locke actually held that citizenship should not be extended to atheists because not believing in God, they could not be trusted to honor their word. I would not go that far, and I don't even think our founding fathers believe that. But I do believe in covenant, in breed, between people and between a government and its citizens. I almost canceled a phone meeting today so that I could have more time to finish this sermon. Then I realized the irony of that decision, given the topic, and I picked up the phone and made the call. We're not perfect, none of us. We will make mistakes. We will overcommit. We will promise out of ego or vanity. And it's not fair to hold us to every word that we ever utter or type, even though increasingly we are. Yet we should take our commitments seriously, not just out of politeness or social grace, but out of a deeper sense of the Jewish values of respect, of kavod, and of covenant, of breed. A promise is a promise. And when we trust that another person will keep that promise, that they feel responsible to something greater than themselves, then we enter into relationship with them. That is the vision of Jewish community and really of American democracy that we should continue to uphold. That as they say and as it teaches in our Torah, they must carry out all that has crossed their lips. Shabbat Shalom.